0: Welcome back to Stack Trace, your weekly podcast about Apple news, rumors, technology, programming, and lots of other things. And I say back because it feels like we're back for the new year after the holidays. But for you, dear listener, I mean, episodes have still kept coming as we've been on holidays because we did the holiday miniseries. But now we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. How does it feel, Rambo? It feels like
1: a new year, definitely. (laughs) And for real this time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It really does. Not just pretend new year, podcasting, time traveling. But we were very honest about that, right? That these holiday miniseries episodes were pre-recorded. But I'm pretty happy with how they turned out. And uh, we haven't heard a ton of feedback from our listeners on this, but... I assume that no feedback is good feedback, right? So hopefully you all enjoy them. And if you do have any feedback about our holiday miniseries, whether it's good or bad or anything we can improve or anything you liked in particular, feel free to reach out because we
1: love hearing from you. Yeah, from my experience, no feedback means good feedback (laughs) because usually if something's terrible, people like to talk about it, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like that, like, you know... For every one complaint you get, you have like nine people who liked what you did, but didn't tell you about it, Exactly. right? So you almost have to like offset all the negative feedback by like a multiplier of 10 or something like that. And which can be really difficult to do when you're gathering feedback. It sometimes can feel, especially when you're running like a beta or something, or you're asking for feedback, like people tend to associate feedback with giving you improvement suggestions or saying that something is wrong. While feedback can just be, hey, this was great. That's that's a great data point as
1: well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and speaking about things which are not terrible, <laughs> what have you been up to? So I have been mostly relaxing, actually. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: during the holidays, I took a complete break from work. And this is kind of not very usual for me to do things like mm-hmm. this. Like, to go for days without even touching my computer, which I really did... But it was such a nice break for me, and it was really kind of what I needed. Because, you know, it's almost a cliche at this point to say that 2020 was such a terrible year, and, you know, it was so stressful, and, you know, everybody knows that. 2020 was a year of full of challenges, and now we're in 2021, so everything's going to get a lot better. Right, Rambo? Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> but... Anyway, so during the year, um, I had a lot of ups and downs, I accomplished a lot of things like we talked about, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how things turned out in the end with my work and things like that, but I did get into, especially during kind of the fall and the winter, I did get into some kind of unhealthy habits when it comes to my work. Uh, I felt like I was working a little bit too much and these things are easier to see in retrospect, it's hard to see it when you're in it, right? Right. So, you know, as the year went by and and as we kept having lockdowns again, and I, I really felt like I started to blur the lines between work and relaxing. And so often I would start working again in the evenings and, you know, I would not take enough time to relax. And it really started to kind of wear on me as, as, as I got to the later months of the year, like in November and December, I started feeling really tired. And I felt like I really need this proper holiday break. So... I took a proper holiday break, I really relaxed and recharged, and it's made such a huge difference. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where you hear it all the time, like it's important to relax. I even say it all the time as well, <laughs> like it's it, productivity is not about working all the time, it's about working smart, not hard, and knowing when to take a break and when to relax as well. So I guess I needed to listen to my own advice <laughs> and, and take that break. And it's been really great. So I'm back now. I've been back working since the fourth of January. Uh been writing a lot of new articles, been doing a lot of client work, and have I've had such like such a nice time and so much more inspiration and productivity. And I feel really, really motivated. It's funny because at the end of December there, I started to feel really unmotivated and not very happy about my work in general. But then, you know, just two weeks of relaxing and coming back, it feels completely different. So I'm just really happy to get started with 2021, and I have some big plans for this year. But I will learn from my mistakes and maintain a more healthy work-life balance going forward. Uh, I'm actually doing really proper time tracking now, both for my freelancing work, which I've always done, but now also for my other work as well, just to get some data around what I'm actually spending my time on so that I can kind of optimize my workflow better and not work too much so I don't end up in a situation where I get too tired again.
1: Yeah, definitely. There are two traps which are very common to fall into when you're working by yourself. And those are the two opposites, like working not enough or working too much, which is usually the case. Yeah, Uh, And especially when you're not like doing freelancing where you actually have to do time tracking to some extent, when you're just working by yourself, uh, you end up sometimes spending more time than you should, uh, even like thinking about work or being around work. So setting some boundaries uh, around that stuff is definitely a a more healthy approach. And to me, it's like when I noticed that it's been too frequent where it's like I look at at the clock and it's like, eight pm already and i I, I haven't uh, like walked away from the computer yet uh, th- throughout the day. I'm like yeah, something needs to change here and and it happened quite a bit for me as well in in 2020
0: yeah, I feel like it happened for a lot of people, especially like during the later months of the year you know as especially if you're you know like me living in a country now where it's dark all of the time like you don't get a lot of kind of natural progression throughout the day or through the weeks like the days kind of blend into each other and you kind of have to set up some artificial boundaries at least i need to do that to say that you know i'm going to start the clock now and once my timer hits eight hours i'm going to stop of course you have to be pragmatic about it right sometimes you need to reply to that final email or write that final piece of code before you can fully leave it because that's also better for me to work kind of eight and a half hours and then fully be done so I can step away rather than having to continue to think about the problem throughout the night. Yeah. Uh, but to have that discipline to say, okay, I need to stop now and just spend some time doing other things. And even if, you know, we we can't leave our houses and we're in lockdown or whatever, like just like watching a movie or playing a video game or making some dinner or whatever, like for me, that has made a huge difference to actually do that. And yeah, I mean it's it's common knowledge, right? Like it's I I'm not saying something here that is revolutionary, but mm-hmm. for me it was like important to rediscover that and to now like really for this year I have the goal of having like really healthy work habits throughout the year because I've done that in the past and it's also really funny because when I was working more hours and and having this happen, I wasn't more productive. Like I didn't publish more articles or do more work or write more code or anything like that. If anything, I was actually doing a little bit less than my average. And now when I've been back and I've been doing that strict eight-hour workday, you know, since I started for this year, I've actually been way more productive because I have so much more energy. So it's, 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 again, like something you just have to kind of rediscover and reprove to yourself that it is really important to take time off. And I'm just really glad I did it. And I feel super excited about this year.
1: Yeah. And of course, this uh, varies from person to person. But I think what you you said there about being more productive while working less hours is really true, especially for people who work in front of a computer most of the time, which is probably like 99% of our listeners. Yeah. Uh, And um, I think what happens is we like what we do. We like our work. So having a strict time limit on your work is kind of like having a strict time limit on how much time you can spend playing a video game or something. Like, uh, we enjoy what we do, so we tend to want to do it all the time, but we, if we have a time limit, I, I guess psychologically or something, it ends up making us focus more and, like, check Twitter less often and, and do less distracting things, which, in the end, make... For a more productive day.
0: Exactly. And it's also kind of lacks natural boundaries when it comes to the amount of work where there's almost always something you can do on your projects. And mm-hmm. if not, you can start a new project. <laughs> and there are no building materials that you need to gather. Like if you have the computer, you can start writing code or do your designs or whatever you want to do. And that is, of course, amazing. The fact that we can create things out of digital bits that we just, you know, we type text into a text editor and things get created. That's amazing. But it's also a downside or a danger where we can just keep working, like you said, and we enjoy doing it. So we don't really have any kind of quote unquote natural incentives to stop, but we kind of need to create those incentives for ourselves. And of course, there are other things that that require your attention. Usually we can't just sit in front of the computer. But I think it's it's really good to, to set those boundaries for yourself if you don't have them kind of in your life naturally. And that's especially true, I think, for a lot of people now with these lockdowns where, you know, we're spending all of our time at home, so it's easy to just say, well, I don't really have anything else to do, so I might as well work for
1: a bit, right? Yeah, exactly. And also it's important to note uh, that it's fine if one day or another you end up doing a little bit extra or like you're finishing up this project and you want to ship it in like a week and then that particular week you go a little bit over time and then you do a little bit more work. But what's important is that it doesn't become the standard. I think that's the key.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. And, And again, you have to be pragmatic, right? Like if you have an opportunity that will be, you know, really important for you or for your business, but it requires you to work like an extra hour a day for a week. Like, that for me is a trade-off that I'm definitely willing to make. But it's, like you say, it's it's about like not signing up for, especially continuous work that you need to do over and over again. Like, that adds up and that becomes like too much. Like, that is really important for me. I I can definitely like do a, you know, short-term push to work more hours or to do something, you know, more ambitious. But then as long as I can go back to a regular routine that doesn't require that afterwards. Definitely. Cool. So with that, like time management by stack trace segment over, <laughs> uh, Rambo. I know that you have some really big news
1: for us. So tell us uh, what is up in your life. Yeah. So uh, first of all, uh, I've also had a really good break during the holidays. Uh, I- I've actually commented with you. I think it was the longest streak that I went without launching Xcode <laughs> in like <laughs> right a really long time because I really didn't do any coding related stuff at all during the holidays uh, and even a little bit after that so I felt really refreshed Uh, not that I don't like launching Xcode and doing stuff but yeah if I can do a little break uh, every now and then at least once a year have like a really good break like this one uh, I'd say it definitely helps and in terms of news I've actually shared this yesterday I am going full-time indie this year, John, and for real this time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I I loved hearing that. And of, of course, like you were telling me about this a little bit before, and I know you've been thinking about this for a while. So it wasn't like big news for me when you made that announcement, but it was still super nice to see and super great to hear you finally take this big step. And it was also really nice to see so many of our friends and people online, like giving you encouraging messages on Twitter,
1: so yeah, it seems like uh, the indie lifestyle for Rambo is off to a good start. Yeah, definitely. Uh and uh this of course raises many questions. Uh I think people who have been listening to Stack Trace uh since a while ago will remember that we've had this conversation before uh when I think <laughs> both me and you were uh, going uh indie and uh I believe this was in early 2019 that uh, I had my, my first like big indie push, and uh, back then what happened was that uh, my plan was to do what I'm doing right now, which is to completely ditch the jobby job and, and go full indie, but at the time I was convinced by the jobby job to stay as a part-time, and uh, back then that worked really well for me with the projects that I had going uh, I had just launched Airbuddy or was in the process of launching it. I, I don't really remember. Um, so, yeah, so I, I took the opportunity. So, I ended up not going full time in it, but I was basically like 50 50 in the and, and jobby job. And now, with um, the break that I had, and I had been thinking about this for a long time, and with increased demand from my uh, quote side projects, which can't really be called that anymore, uh, I have decided to make the jump, finally. Uh, so yeah, I'm this time, for real, I'm going full-time indie. And uh, I have, of course, everybody and, and Cast and, and Chibi Studio and everything else that, that I do, but there are some other new things I plan on doing this year, which I'm not going to tell everyone just yet, but keep an eye out for that.
0: Very nice. So, of course, big congratulations. and. It it really is true that, you know, it ties back to what we were just talking about around time management, where you kind of have to, at some point, make a choice, right? Like, you can't do everything, and you have to decide, okay, what is the most important for me? Like, should I pursue my quote-unquote side projects, or let's just call them your own projects, because now they are your main job, right? (laughs) Uh, Should I pursue those, or should I still, like, work for the jobby job? And those decisions can, of course, be really hard to make, especially when you know being indie, especially during these times, does also have a lot of challenges and ups and downs and uncertainty to it as well. But the opportunity is also really large, like building something on your own and you know the potential and working for yourself and coming up with your own ideas is, is incredibly motivating and inspiring. So it is definitely a, a trade-off, and I, I can imagine that you spend a lot of time thinking about doing this, right? But you do sometimes have to make that hard decision and decide, should I go, you know, to path A or path B? And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to see you choose the indie path. And I'm sure it's going to be great for you. And I'm also really excited to see what's going to come out of this and what's going to happen with your existing projects and also the new ones that I know you have in the works.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to think about like what is a side project? (laughs) Like, what defines a side project? Is it what makes the most money? Is it what takes the most time? Because if we were to look at this from the financial side of things, then AirBuddy is the jobby job and the jobby job is the side project. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and and this has been true for, for a while now. And there's always... The, the thought of like, how much better could I make this if this was my main job? Yeah. So I've been working on, on my apps on the side for a long time. And uh, even that on the side is, is quite a bit of work. But what if I could like wake up in the morning and only have to think about my own stuff? What could I do then? I think that's a thought that was like a main motivator for me to actually make this jump.
0: Yeah, it's definitely about kind of breaking out of some of those constraints when it comes to time, right? There's only so much you can do with a very small number of hours per week. And also, like you just mentioned, like the focus aspect of just being able to immerse yourself in one project for a week or for two weeks or whatever you want in order to, you know, actually invest the time and make something new happen, makes such a big difference. And you know, we've talked about this on this podcast before, but there's this tendency, I feel like, in in kind of modern life where we are uh, thinking that the work that other people are doing sometimes is so easy, right? Or doesn't yeah. require a lot of time. But even like a product that looks simple or maybe doesn't have a lot of features takes usually a long time to work on, right? And and I know just how many hours you've spent on AirBuddy and, and the features and things like that that you've been thinking about, how much time those could take. And how much just focus and energy. So, like having that dedicated time, I think it's it makes so much sense and it will probably have a pretty big impact on the product too.
1: Yeah. And there's also all of the other time, which uh, we've mentioned before when you're developing a product, uh, an app that is a product and not like, and I, I say just in quotes here, uh, just like an open source project. There are different like tiers of work involved. You can, Say make an app and release it on on GitHub for free and and that's it and then like you can accept pull requests and things like that. That's some amount of work, but then there's another one which is like actually making a product and selling it and dealing with all of the uh, like uh, support and marketing and and things like that. That's a whole another level of involvement uh, and time com- consumption which comes with that so yeah it, it is a lot of work and I am probably not going to keep having just one product I mean I already have more than one but I do want to have a good selection of, of products uh, in, in my portfolio and, and I do have some ideas as to what they might be um, not sure if those will come out this year but I have some other things I want to achieve this year. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Rambo, I'm really hoping that you will host a press conference towards the end of the year where you will announce all your products and then you will say, we feel really happy about our lineup going into the holidays.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Customer set is off the charts.
0: Exactly. Oh, that's really exciting. And of course, we're going to follow up, uh, both of us really, on the new projects that we have in store for this year and you know, keep you updated uh, with our indie life and the projects we work on and learnings from that. That's that's what Stacktrace is all about, right? So it's, it's really cool to have you on board on the full-time indie train and wishing you all the best for the year. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I also wish you all the best. Well, thank you. So nice. <laughs> and we wish all our <laughs> listeners the best. It sounds like we're ending the episode, but we're really not. We're just <laughs> getting started. So let's now jump into our first main topic, which is, of course, in the news. So Rambo, What have you got for us this week, or what has the world got for us this
1: week? So this is a report from uh, DigiTimes, and uh, according to this report, Apple Glasses are moving into the, quote, second phase of development. All right. This is exciting, because
0: it almost feels like the Apple Glasses or Apple's AR project is, like, their worst-kept secret. And we (laughs) talked about this also during our predictions episodes, that... You know, we've we've been hearing rumblings about AR for so long now, and you know, Apple they're kind of being unreasonably excited about AR given the form factors and things that exist currently. So it feels it's always felt like there's something more at work, like there's a bigger plan, and it feels like we might get be getting closer to seeing what that plan actually is, or at least the first part of it.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff to unpack here, and and this, as you mentioned, has been discussed. At length for a long time. I think we have probably talked about it here. And again, I bring back uh, my old saying that AR is only interesting to me when there are glasses, because I really don't feel like it's very useful when you have to hold a device in front of you. So this makes me really excited. And I think 2021 might finally be the year where we learn about this, at least the first... Phase of whatever this is, maybe like a developer kit of sorts or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it might also be one of those situations where they have to pre-announce the device that has happened with both the iPhone and the Apple Watch before, because they have to like seek regulatory approval and things like that. And also, you know, like you mentioned, there there might be some kind of dev kit or you know developer announcement because they need developers to start making things for this, presumably. So it's going to be interesting to see like what the timeline will be and when the first announcement will be versus when the actual first product will ship to users. And if the product that they initially ship will be a little bit more compromised, it probably will be. And then, you know, they will iterate from there. Because if you just think about the original Apple Watch or the original iPhone for that matter, but I think the watch is perhaps a better analogy in this case where all of the apps were running on the iPhone, the original Apple Watch was really slow... Battery life wasn't that great, you know, there are many features it didn't have. But it was a first iteration, and then they iterated after that. So I think if if the AR glasses, like the first iteration of them, are as the first iteration Apple Watch, I will be very happy about that.
1: Yeah, it's also worth pointing out that like the first Apple Watch, for the first Apple Watch, Apple had the completely wrong angle about what it would be like right it wasn't shown as like this fitness device that it is today which i think is where it shines the most it was like this platform for apps and for you to connect with your friends and things like that and do your shopping on your watch (laughs) exactly yeah and that never happened so uh, i think there's also that aspect to it
0: yeah absolutely so what do you think then like if this will be, let's say, like a developer kit, if there will be like a developer transition kit, but from nothing to AR <laughs> not from <laughs> Intel to m one, um what do you think that could look like? what What kind of shape would it be? Would it be like a more like a VR headset, like a bigger one that you put on just to like get a feel for the technology, or would the form factor be much more
1: lightweight or what do you think? I'd say, like, the end goal for end users and for the mainstream market has to be glasses. Yeah. Like a watch, like a thing you can wear normally throughout the day without looking like a weirdo. Uh, Although they made AirPods, which were kind of like that in the beginning, but then people just got used to them. So who knows? Uh, But in terms of this initial release, if they end up making like an initial release that's maybe more. Focus towards entertainment or gaming or developers or something. I'd say probably something like we've already seen uh, with other manufacturers, a, a VR headset that you can sync with your iPhone or Apple TV or iPad or whatever, and then you can uh, use that to to enter like this virtual world. But I'm wondering though if it would be like pure VR, like you know that the real
0: reality is gone, it's blocked out, right? Like you're just in the virtual world. If that would provide a good stepping stone towards the full AR experience with glasses, I feel like those are two really different things and the development flow you would have and and what kind of applications you would build is also incredibly different. So I'm thinking perhaps it will be something more similar to Microsoft's HoloLens, which... Some people like to call mixed reality or or I believe that's what it's called like with holograms and things like that. I get all these terms confused and I think everybody <laughs> does. Like there's so many terms floated around right now. But basically where you have an AR device that is projecting like quote unquote holograms like pixels on top of what you're seeing around you. Uh, because I feel like that's a more natural kind of progression or stepping stone towards the full glasses form factor.
1: Yeah, I think that makes more sense. Yeah, it will probably be something like that. Um, And I think it is plausible that we'll see something this year. I don't know if you remember, or if our listeners remember, but there was this super weird thing that happened when they released iOS 13, like the, the GM. The GM of iOS 13 had a bunch of AR stuff, like the four AR headsets in it, uh, and the Starboard uh, system that, that was going to be used to launch AR apps and things like that, and for some reason that ended up in the final release of iOS 13, which makes me believe that they were planning on maybe releasing something back then for this, but it ended up being delayed or something, so yeah, th- this is one of those really like weird projects within Apple that's been going on for a really long time, and little bits and pieces have leaked out uh, even like from Apple themselves, but We haven't seen the full picture yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, if it is that kind of device that was depicted, and perhaps we can put uh, some chapter art here with that icon that I believe someone from nine to five Mac found, or someone else. Yeah, I think was who found it. It was Felipe, right? Um, in the iOS beta, that kind of form factor, like. What could that be used for if it was indeed augmented reality? So if it is a larger headset that you put on, so it's more like a deliberate thing where you say, now I'm going to use my AR device. It's not just I'm putting on my glasses to go outside. What could you use that for, you think?
1: Yeah, so that's really interesting. I think uh, maybe gaming? Like it's uh, really like there are very few applications that I see for a dedicated device, uh, like you mentioned, where you go into this mode, like, I am going to use AR now. And then you put on whatever device it is. I can only see that being used for gaming or very technical applications, like maybe architecture or something in the medical field. But like, it's not like I'm going to be Wearing that to the grocery store or something. Right.
0: (laughs) Only to be able to see like the prices of items that you pick up and scan (laughs) the AR code or like the the (laughs) barcode.
1: Exactly. And that's been my point about AR for the longest time that it only makes sense when we have a device that's as inconspicuous as glasses. Like I can just go out and I'm just a guy wearing glasses and it's not something that's weird or that's going to put people off. And something where everything runs in the background as well, I think that's also really important,
0: where you don't have to pick up the item you want to scan and enter an app, like double click on the side of your glasses (laughs) to launch home screen and then tap on your glasses to launch the app, like it should just recognize this is a barcode and launch the app in the background that can scan barcodes and run the logic and display it on top of the item like that kind of science fiction experience where it literally becomes augmented reality that everywhere you look like there's metadata around you and and things like that you like you look up towards the sky and you see the weather data like you see the percentage of chance of rain when you look at a cloud or something like that. Like that kind of augmented information being displayed automatically could be really really cool, but I think it needs to be a what you said like the form factor needs to be natural, something you want to wear, and b it needs to be running that logic like automatically. It shouldn't need as much user interaction as something like an iPhone.
1: Yeah, it should be a very passive experience. Right. You, you just look at things and and information is shown to you. Um, And another aspect that's um, actually kind of controversial about these sorts of devices is, and I think we know the answer, is this thing will not have a camera. Like, it will not have a camera that the user can use to film or take pictures. I think that's something where Apple would draw the line. uh, And I remember it was a a problem back when Google made the the Google glasses. Do you remember that? Right. It was a long time ago. (laughs) And I remember one of the big issues people had with people wearing them is that if you encounter someone wearing the Google Glass, they could be recording or taking pictures of you at any moment. And I don't think Apple would do something that could do that. Even if it had like a, a little light that indicated that it's recording or something, I don't think they would do that. It, it really ties back to what you
0: were just saying about it being like a natural not very conspicuous form factor, right? Like if the device is a potential like recording device and has flashing lights, like I am recording now, it's (laughs) definitely not, you know, subtle. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that all ties into it as well. Like it needs to be something that just feels like a natural part of life after a little while, both to you as the wearer and
1: other people seeing you wear it. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it shouldn't raise a concern from people around you. And I think most wearables out there tend to do that to some extent. Uh, Even with, like, the Apple Watch, I remember it was a thing right after it was released, people were talking about if you're looking at your watch to, like, see a notification or to look at a complication or something, people might interpret it as, like, you're bored and you're in a hurry or something. And I, I definitely... Feel that sometimes when I'm around people which doesn't really happen lately but when I used to be around people and I was like looking at my Apple Watch to like see a notification or something sometimes people would ask oh do you have somewhere to go or something because I I was looking at my watch so much and I think even like a small thing like that it should be avoided as much as possible in order for something like this to be successful and and become a mainstream thing. It is really interesting, though, because in order for this device to be like useful and something
0: people want to buy, it needs to have a certain amount of features or give you enough value to justify the, let's face it, it's co- probably going to be really expensive, the price, <laughs> right? So, um, but then what can you do? Like, you can, yes, present a lot of data and, and have a lot of features and give the user a lot of information all the time, but then you risk running into a lot of those kind of social awkward things where you know if you can do things like watch a movie on your glasses and you're in a meeting and you know people ask you questions and you're you're not reacting because you're sitting there watching a movie and they don't know about it so it can create a lot of these awkward situations you know just because it is something that is always in front of you not to mention like we talked just about earlier how it is so important for us at least to disconnect and recharge and not be in front of computers all the time. Well, what if the computer is on your face, <laughs> right? Of course you can always take it off, but if that is your normal glasses that you wear every day, just like how the Apple Watch is many people's watch that they wear every day, it gets harder and harder to kind of escape from technology. And you know, I'm still on the positive side of this. I am I'm a, I'm a definitely optimistic and I think this will be cool. But I do think, especially with glasses, if that is indeed the form factor we're going for here, or Apple is going for, it's going to have a lot of challenges just in kind of society in general, I think.
1: Yeah, you can be sure that there's going to be like, oh, the the humanity is doomed kind of reports when Apple announces this, Um, but that's common like um, the, I'm going to recommend here the pessimists archive podcast right which yeah, is a good one <laughs> like talking about when the radio was uh, first introduced and people were saying that uh, like the radio was going to destroy society or something so yeah this is going to happen with any technological evolution uh, and if there's a company that I trust to do something like this in a tasteful way, it is Apple. Like, uh, imagine if Facebook did something like this. Like, uh, I I wouldn't wear it. (laughs) Um, Right, me neither. (laughs) But, and even like, I can think of at least one feature that would be kind of creepy, but it would make my life much easier, which would be like, if I look at someone, it like shows me that person's name (laughs) because (laughs) I'm really terrible with names and, and faces and this happens all the time when I'm at like a conference and, and someone come ups, comes up to me and they're like, oh, hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, Ugh, I'm sorry, <laughs> because I'm really bad at uh, associating names with faces. So if I could like have a, my own personal database of faces to names, that would really help me. But I do think that it's kind of creepy, so who knows?
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely like, now we're getting closer to that line, right? Like, are we going to cross it or not? We'll see. Uh, but I think this is a good segue into kind of the developer story around this rumor or around this potential product. So, of course, I mean, not of course, but presumably there will be a third-party app platform, like an opportunity for us as third-party developers to develop software for this thing. And that also means that although Apple will certainly have a review system and an app store and things like that, there will probably be software that will be more and less creepy, right? Just like there's <laughs> creepy software already on our phones, now it will be on our faces. And again, I'm a, I'm a optimist around these things. I, I hope that everything will work out, and I think it will, but it's just a challenge, right? So what do you think the development platform will look like? like? What kind of restrictions will be in place for third-party developers, and
1: how will we develop apps for this thing? Yeah, that's really interesting question. I, I would say this would probably start out really restrictive in terms of what developers can do. Because imagine like, even if this thing has like a, a LiDAR sensor or things like that, uh, which you will probably have in order to, to have a really good tracking of the environment, an app could potentially be like collecting a bunch of data f- from your entire life and uploading that to some place. Uh, so it it really has to be very careful in terms of what can happen from an app's perspective. And I would say it's very likely that in the beginning this will be limited to if you have, say, an iOS app, you can have an extension, just like the initial version of the Apple Watch. You yeah. can have, like, a, an AR extension that overlays information about your app on top of things in the real world, for instance, or provides a virtual experience like maybe a VR-like type thing uh, or especially for games, like something like that would would be useful. But I wouldn't expect a super flexible experience in the beginning for third-party developers. I think it would be very limited.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I would even go so far as to say maybe it's just notifications in the beginning. Like maybe we can just implement these rich notifications that we've had for a while now on iOS and watchOS with like some actions, and you can put some metadata in there, you can put images and things like that in there, but it's all just part of the notification system. Like you can't just write an arbitrary app that runs in the background. So that barcode scanner that I was just talking about, like (laughs) that will not be in the first iteration, or maybe it could work that, you know, you can register some kind of data detector with a system. And when that data gets detected, your app will run some logic and submit some predefined data back through a notification or something like that. Like there are ways you could design this, I feel like, that would still enable different kinds of functionality, but in a more limited way. And another thing is to think about like what if this is all declarative? Like what if there is mm-hmm. no just arbitrary code execution direct access to sensors and hardware what if you are just like submitting your swift ui view just like you are doing for the widgets and that gets rendered and then when you run your logic that gets run on the phone and you don't have access you can run your own business logic and your own models and controllers and whatever but you cannot say like give me the current picture of the environment around the user or give me the sensor or or something like that like you can just read very limited data that the system gives you and like register for different events, but all of your logic is completely detached from the hardware itself.
1: Yeah, I think that would be very interesting and that could be very well what they do in the beginning. Uh, So like with uh, widgets, you have this timeline, you could maybe have like a, a pipeline where it text stuff around it, and then it, it runs through the extensions that it has and finds extensions that are interested in that particular context. Yeah, and then the extension provides its content, and the system elects the most relevant one based on, on heuristics or something like that. So yeah, I could definitely see them doing something like that, and I think maybe the the widget system on iOS fourteen was the first iteration of something bigger that's gonna become more common uh, in the future.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking like, combine Widget kit with Siri intents and you have what I'm thinking about here. Where with Siri intents, you have basically those kind of data detectors, that pipeline that you were talking about there, where when you are registering an intent and the user says something to Siri, then you have a chance to respond to that based on a predefined set of intents. So imagine you can say like, I want to be invoked or my app wants to be invoked when the user looks at a car, for example. Yeah. And then you can write your logic for that and maybe you get some metadata around the car, like the size, and maybe, you know, maybe not the registration number, but you know, <laughs> you get you get some metadata around the object and then you can run logic on that and return a response. Maybe like that's
1: how it will work, at least in the initial release. Yeah, and maybe there is like a, a license plate type of data that you need like the super restrictive entitlements which Apple gives only to certain developers. They do have that power, and we have seen that being used for some things. Another thing I I thought about is maybe there are no apps, like traditionally, for this device, and they're all like app clips. Like you have a little code somewhere, like a a star can put a code in the wall, and when the user looks at the code the glasses will then download that app clip and the user can use it. And then in that particular environment, it activates that experience. And as soon as the user leaves or stops using it, it after a certain time, it goes away, just like app clips. Right, yeah. It could be like, you know, when
0: Tim Cook announced the new Apple TV and he said that the future of TV is apps, <laughs> it would be like the future of apps is that there are no apps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting.
0: Yeah, it almost sounds like a different version of the web in a way, right? Where if you look at these app clips then as different websites or APIs almost, right? That the device can query and download data and present information. It's almost like you're walking around and there are API endpoints that you can call, but they take the shape of an app clip or something like that. Like It's it's interesting to think about these things because a new form factor does not just present like different kinds of challenges, but it also presents an opportunity to reinvent some things or to rethink certain assumptions that we have about how computers should work. And perhaps for the better, perhaps for the worse, we'll see. But it is really interesting to think about how these things will work from a developer's perspective.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. So that was a a pretty unexpected deep dive into this topic, actually. (laughs) It turns out that we have opinions about these things, Rambo. Who could have known? (laughs) Awesome. But that's why people tune into Stacktrace, right? To hear the developers' perspective about the news. So we only had time to talk about that one topic on this episode, but we'll revisit more news topics uh, on the future episodes, of course, and talk about what Apple might be up to or not. But this is a really interesting thing to, to follow. Uh, but now, let's round off this episode with an Ask Trace question. And before we answer this week's question, I just want to put out a call for questions here. So if you have anything that you would like us to talk about, it can be anything at all, tweet at us with the hashtag AskStacktrace. Please, that would be great. Because we love to get questions, it is super fun to hear from you and to hear what you want us to talk about. So anything at all from technology to programming to... Linguistics by Stacktrace, or what kind of dinners we like to cook, whatever it might be that you want to hear about, <laughs> tell us about it. Ask Stacktrace, please tweet. Uh, but now let's answer a question from Mosh. And Mosh says, if I have an app that's ready to go to the App Store, am I better off publishing it as soon as I can, or should I prepare the accompanying website and do my marketing first? Is there any harm in marketing an app that's not brand new anymore? So this is a really interesting set of questions, I guess. So I'm going to hand it over to you first, Rambo. What are your thoughts on this? Should an app be marketed as it's launched and everything be ready when you know you press the button and you launch it on the App Store? Or is it okay to wait until a later point?
1: Well, first of all, I want to apologize to Moshe because this question has been sitting in our queue for a long time. So he's probably released the app by now. <laughs> but...
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> It's not a very immediate stack trace here. It's more like an async stack trace. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but I think it's still useful to answer here because uh, other listeners might have this question as well. Uh, and uh, again, uh, I'm sorry, but it depends. <laughs> 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 so if you are already like an established developer, um, like a, a well-known indie developer and you already have apps in, in the App Store, if you push a new app to the App Store publicly, people will find it and will start downloading it, and maybe even some publications will publish about your app, <laughs> even without talking to you first. Um, so, but that's I think it is like more rare. Unfortunately, not everyone has a big following or, or has people looking at their App Store page and things like that. So, in general, I would say publish it as soon as it's ready to the App Store. And then feel free to like wait a week or however long you need to start actually marketing your app. Because these days, the App Store isn't much more than just a hosting place for apps. It's not like it used to be back in the early App Store days where you released an app and then you got 2 million downloads in 3 hours and you were rich. No, it's not like that anymore. So if you have an app and you want to release it in the App Store, you are going to have to do a lot of marketing outside the App Store in order to get people to download it. Unless you're extremely lucky and you get Apple to feature your new app or something like that, the more likely outcome is that no one is going to find your app until you actually market it outside the App Store. So I would say publish it whenever it's ready and then start marketing it when you can and uh, another aspect uh, even if you want to release the app in the app store once you're ready to do your marketing i'd say release it like press the button at least 24 hours before because it takes a while for the app store cdn to propagate your app and i've seen many 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 developers bitten by this problem where they release an app and they have like press embargoes for 10 a.m pacific time, and they press the button at 10 10 a.m pacific time, and then people can't download the app, or their in-app purchases don't work yet, so plan to have the app in the app store at least 24 hours before marketing it.
0: Yeah, that's very, very good advice. It's so common to be so eager, right? Like, you yeah. publish your app and you see it yourself on the App Store. So you're thinking, oh, it works for me, so it, it should work for everybody. It works on my machine, right? <laughs> so you just want to tweet about it or tell people about it and spread the word. And and it's very important here, I think, to exercise a little bit of restraint or to be a little bit like calm and do things in a proper way like you say like to definitely give the app store 24 hours to propagate make sure you test the live version once you've released it so you didn't forget to like you know flip the configuration to live so it's still running on staging or something like that like it's very easy especially if this is your first app or at least the 1.0 app it's it's very common to make these types of mistakes even if you have automated tests in place, and you've done a lot of betas and testing and things like that. Like, it's very human to make mistakes, everybody does. So I would definitely say push it to the App Store, test it thoroughly yourself, maybe have a couple of friends, download it and check it out, just to make sure it works for them as well. And then you can start your marketing process. I want to pick up the second part of this question here, which was that, is there any harm in marketing an app that's not brand new anymore? And I would say, like, not only is there no harm in doing so, I think you have to do that. Because so often when we're indie developers or a smaller team and we're working on the Apple platforms, we look at Apple and the way they market things. Like, they host these huge press releases or press conferences. They go, like, it's available today. And they release it and they get millions of sales. And it's a huge thing and, and it's a big release. But we are not Apple. Like, we cannot do our marketing in the same way that they do. We don't have the resources or the people or the capacity or the knowledge to do things that way. So we need to do it a different way. And I think for most smaller developers, it's much smarter to do like continuous bursts and continuous work on your marketing. Don't treat it as a big announcement and then don't do anything after that because chances are that that big announcement won't be noticed by a lot of people, especially if you don't have you know, an audience that you can broadcast to, or, you know, you have connections in the press or something like that. If if you're just like tweeting from your Twitter account or putting it on your website, chances are that not a lot of people will actually see that initial marketing push. So you need to keep working on it again and again and again. And this is the thing I always t- tell people as well when they ask me, like, how do I make my website successful? It's like, it's not like I have a secret I can just tell you. <laughs> because... <laughs> it's not that simple, right? I can't just say like, do these three things and your website will be successful. Actually, the only thing I can really tell you is continuously work on it and make it better. And in this case with the marketing, continue to tell people about your app, continue the marketing process, continue to share tips on how to use it, continue like reaching out to publications. Maybe when you make your like 1.1 and 1.2, you reach out again and continue working on it because that's really the only way you can go from having like a small audience or a small user base to growing that because it's all about you know getting one more user then another then another and then eventually some of those people will start telling their friends and then it will start spreading but you need to do that initial work to get to that kind of critical mass and that can take a long time like you really have to yeah. be patient and i just think back you know when i started my website for example or when i was writing on medium that's what I, how i started writing articles not a lot of people read what I wrote, but I kept doing it. And that's what made my website grow and my audience grow and what got me to where I am today. It's It wasn't one big push. It wasn't like one big article that made me famous, right? Like <laughs> that's typically not how it works. Again, we can get that impression when we look at bigger companies, they make these big announcements and that's where it's at. But for us smaller developers and publishers, it's more about doing that continuous work that will eventually, hopefully, lead us somewhere. But you really have to do that work over time. It's not just one marketing push.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I was doing apps since 2012, 2013. And the first app that made me any real money was Chibi Studio in 2016. So it, it takes a while uh, for you to, to get there. and. Yeah. Also, with the constant marketing that you mentioned, that is totally true. Like with, uh, for instance, with AirBuddy, I am currently working on a marketing campaign for for AirBody, uh, which is going to be happening uh, later in the month or, or early February. And uh, the version two was released back in November twenty twenty, so it's not brand new anymore. But there are a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people in the planet, and they haven't heard about it and they have AirPods and Macs, and they might want to learn about the app. So it is useful to keep marketing. Uh, and also I'm working on a minor update, which is uh, version 2.3, which is going to introduce some new features. And when that is ready to go, I am going to contact Press because there are some features there which might interest some users. And I'd say even if your initial release is what you consider to be successful, like you get a lot of downloads, a lot of sales, keep at it because like every time there's an article on some blog, like even like even if it's not like a super huge famous blog, like if even if it's like a small blog that some uh, particular niche of users uh, tends to read, I always get a lot of downloads from those types of, of posts out there. So... I'd say keep at it. Even if you feel like everyone who wanted to use your app already has it, I guarantee there are more people out there who haven't learned about it and would like to.
0: Exactly. And for them, the app is new, right? Exactly. Like It doesn't matter if it's been on the App Store for three years, it's going to be new for them. And that's a really common trap to fall into, is that you think that just because you know everything about your app and you've been talking about it for three years at this point, that everyone else also knows about it. But that's never the case right like there's always someone who doesn't know about it 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 doesn't matter like how niche this community that you're targeting is or like you feel like you've already told everyone within that little sphere about it like it's definitely not the case and you know I I encounter this all the time as well where I will share some old article or some old video or something that I made and a lot of people will you know tweet about it or, or talk about it as if it was new because it was new to them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really important, I feel like, to, to keep up as we, as we were talking about here and to not treat it as a one-time thing, but rather an ongoing thing. Uh, there's one more thing I'd like to add, though, and I think that before you do launch your app, you don't need to have like a whole marketing campaign or something <laughs> yeah. all figured out immediately, but you should have something. Like if someone goes to your website, there shouldn't just be like a temporary under construction like in the nineties, right? <laughs> <laughs> but there should be something. Like just put the app icon there with like some very short description text, like spend a day or something on the website, put it up there. Like so it at least looks professional. That that would be the advice I would give. So it's not just something very temporary, but you don't have to plan how you will conquer the world before you
1: launch your app. <laughs> yeah, and uh that simple page could last a long time like for FusionCast, it's still in that stage like the website it's just a page with the name of the app a short description a buy button and a screenshot and that's it yeah sometimes that's all you need yep awesome so this was a
0: fun question and a fun way to start our proper 2021 season i think or what do you think rambo yeah i think it was a great start Yeah, absolutely. So just like we mentioned earlier, feel free to give us any feedback that you have. Is there any topics that you'd like us to discuss during this year? Do you have any other things that you would like us to do on the show? Then feel free to let us know. You can always find us on Twitter. I am at Johnson Dell and Mr. Rambo is at underscore inside. And our question hashtag is AskStackTrace. But that's it for this episode. So thanks a lot for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you again next week. So say goodbye, Mr. Rambo. Goodbye.